0: sing three verses of 254. 254, Saviour through the desert, lead us, without thee we cannot go. Thou from cruel chains hast freed us, thou hast laid the tyrant low. Let thy presence cheer us all our journey through. We'll stand and sing verses 1, 2 and 4 of 254. Then Michael will bring us as one.
1: Oh!
2: final epistle that is before us uh, today, the epistle of Jude, uh, and we'll just take the time uh, I think to read uh, the epistle, uh, at least the majority of it uh, together. The epistle by Jude. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, Though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, and those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Korah. These are spots in your feasts of charity, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about with winds. Trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blankness of darkness forever. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouths speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember, ye, the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time, who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life and of some have compassion making a difference and others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even the garment spotted by the flesh now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Saviour be glory and majesty dominion and power both now and ever Amen I suppose this is one of these uh, epistles that can be difficult to see how it applies to us and we read down through this and we think here is this great long uh, description of uh, men who are false teachers, men who are a detriment to the things of God, uh, men who are a danger uh, to any Christian church in which they find themselves. And it might be that you are thinking to yourself, well, perhaps this just seems very far removed from my experience. But what I would like to try and do uh, this evening is just to go down and to look, first of all, and to try and see in its context why this epistle is in the word of God and then having looked at the context uh, we'll try and just uh, draw from it one or two principles that will uh, I hope be applicable uh, to ourselves uh, and hopefully be of use uh, in situations where we might come across men who in one sense might be of a similar sort of character now it might be that uh, in your assembly and our assembly in whatever assembly you're associated with it might be that these particular problems are not a particularly uh, prominent thing that you and I have to deal with but if you look at the wider sphere of uh, Christendom and professing Christianity in general it is not too difficult to find men who uh, would fit some of these descriptions and therefore it's perhaps useful Brother Andrew has made a reference already to uh, the fact that these days it's very easy just to go onto the internet and to uh, type in Christian preaching or whatever it might be and you get all sorts of things thrown up and it's not difficult you go onto YouTube or any of these uh, other uh, websites and so on, you can find every sort of uh, professing Christian doctrine uh, on the internet, it's not difficult to do that And we've talked about social media and some of the things that are circulated on social media that would seem, when you read the first couple of lines, to be very acceptable. And it's only perhaps when you get down to the last line or so that you begin to realise just how far astray this has gone. So these things are not difficult to find if you go looking for them. So hopefully we'll be able to see some principles that apply uh, to ourselves, but first of all, why is this book in the Word of God? What, what has God? Why has God left it on record for us? And I, I want just to make a little suggestion, which you can think about in your own time. And it's this: that if you look at the book in the context of the whole of the New Testament, we get a little bit of an idea as to why it's still in Scripture. If you think of the way your New Testament is laid out so don't, don't go to sleep at this bit you'll have to concentrate a little bit I know it's after 7 o'clock you've been here all afternoon but just concentrate on this little bit so that you understand the point that is being made if you think of the way our New Testament is laid out it starts off of course with uh, the four gospels the account of the life of the Lord Jesus and then there's the book of Acts which carries the history uh, forward and thereafter there are the 13 epistles that were written by Paul And the context of those epistles is largely Gentile. Now that's important because the whole of the Old Testament is Jewish in context. And the life of the Lord Jesus and the advent of the Christian gospel marked a radical change in the way that God was dealing with mankind. God had dealt with the Uh, the the nation of the Jews and given to them a position of particular privilege. And when the Christian gospel came, that particular privileged position of the Jew came to an end. And the book of Romans will will show to us that God is now uh, blessing Jew and Gentile on equal ground. And in order to expand upon that, Paul writes these 13 epistles, ending with the epistle to Philemon. And that's the way our New Testament is arranged. So, Jew blessed in the Old Testament, the Christian Gospel comes, Gentiles are brought in and Jews no longer have a privileged position. So the Jew therefore is left asking himself, well what does that mean for me? That's why we have the epistle to the Hebrews. Because in Hebrews, the writer, whether you think it's Paul or not, doesn't matter. The writer is going to show that if you were an individual Jew in the first century, you stood at a point of critical decision. And either you could uh, accept what God was doing and follow the plan that God was following, if we can speak reverently, and acknowledge that the crucified Nazarene was actually the Messiah or you could repudiate that completely and go back to Judaism that had become, if we can speak reverently, had become a spiritual uh, almost a spiritual sort of fornication a thing that God had repudiated you remember that Esau uh, sold his birthright at the end of the book of Hebrews. And in Hebrews, the Jew is brought to a decision point. Are you going to uh, acknowledge that Jesus was the Messiah, or are you going to say the nation was right when they crucified him? That's the point that you're at. First century Jewish uh, religious man, seeker after God, so on and so forth. So having established that in Hebrews... (coughs) The next three writers in our New Testament, James, Peter and John, are going to set out for the benefit of the Jews. You'll notice, of course, that the letters of Peter, uh, James and John uh, are are much more generic. They're much more Jewish in their character. So in those three writers, the half dozen or so letters that they write uh, in total... God is going to set out for the benefit particularly of the Jew although lessons for us as Gentiles God is going to set out for the Jew particularly the blessings that will follow if they make the right choice if they understand the the teaching of Hebrews they will enter into the blessings that are described in James, Peter and John but when you come to Jude Jude is going to present the other side of that coin and Jude is going to say, now you need to be aware. Because there are false teachers who will creep in unawares and will seek to turn you away from the truth. They will seek to influence you in a way that will be to your detriment. They want you to go back to something that God has set aside. And Jude is going to say, I want you to be very careful and I want you to understand the consequences of making this wrong Choice. So the primary reason I think why the, the book is in the New Testament is because God has left it or God addressed it particularly and first of all to those who find themselves in that particular context. But it has implications for us. Now that there are two things that we must uh, remember when we come to, to deal with this book. We must remember that the context is primarily Jewish. And we must remember as well that these men that Paul that Jude rather is speaking about are men who are apostate men. These are men who are specific and willful false teachers. It's not just a case of someone who takes a slightly different view on a particularly or potentially controversial subject. These are men who are specifically coming in to undermine the things of God. And as we say, it's not difficult to find that sort of men today, particularly if you go onto the internet. So let's just have a look at the sort of of men that these are. We haven't got time to deal, and we certainly won't have time to deal with any of the controversial or difficult passages uh, this evening. So if you want to know uh, about Michael disputing with the devil and so on and so forth, well, we'll have to leave that for some other time. Let's just have a look at these men. Jude had intended, uh, verse number 3, to write to these believers about the common salvation. He, he, He wanted to write about things that they enjoyed in common. But there was a pressing need that meant that that book just wouldn't have been a suitable book for the time. And so he addresses the need that is before them at the time. It was needful for me, uh, verse number 3, to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered unto the saints because, verse number 4, certain men have crept in unawares. That's a characteristic of false teaching. It's subtle. Andrew has already pointed out, nobody is ever going to come to your door and say, hello, I'm a false teacher, I would like to undermine your salvation. Nobody's ever going to send around uh, 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 a thing on email or forward a a post on Facebook or whatever it might be, saying, look at this wonderful false doctrine that I've discovered let's circulate. That's not going to happen. And when you start to read it, it will sound good. And here are these men, verse number four, they have crept in unawares. So what is the character of these men? Look at the Jude tends to write in triplets. Lots of triplets and you can uh, spend a, a profitable uh, afternoon or so just going down and looking for the triplets in which Jude writes. Look at these men, verse number 4. Three things about them. They are, number one, ungodly in their character. Number two, they are immoral in their behaviour number three just for the sake of it's not quite alliteration but it will follow the pattern they are apostate in doctrine that is they are deniers of the only lord god and our lord jesus christ by the way you can legitimately translate that i think denying the only lord god even our lord jesus christ it's a proof of the deity of the lord jesus now there are multiple other descriptions of these men further down the chapter we're not going to go into them Uh, this evening if you come across a man who purports to be a teacher of the word of God a Christian leader a religious man of any shape or form, a spiritual leader of whatever caliber measure that man against these three criteria and I suppose in these days of equality we have to say man or woman It's not difficult to find uh, women preaching who would fall into these sort of categories. That's by the way. Ungodly in their character. You you look at what a, a man is teaching, you look at the doctrine that he brings, you look at his character. And you say, is there a godliness of character? Is this man an accurate reflection of the character of the God of Scripture? If this man is not an accurate reflection of the character of the God of Scripture, be very suspicious. I know that, as Andrew has said, faults and failings, that's, that's fine. We, we all have them. But if a man has an ungodly character, you be very, very careful about the doctrine that he brings with him. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. If a man's moral standards are not consistent with Scripture, again, be very, very wary. You folks in Aberdeen will know uh, the controversy that involved the Church of Scotland a few years ago. And the appointment of the minister with the Queen's Cross or whatever it was. Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. Just to borrow what they've, they've said, or what Andrew was bringing before us in Third John, we've moved beyond these old-fashioned restrictions in morality. God is a God of grace and love and forgiveness, so it doesn't really matter. God, God approves of everything, and they use the grace of God as an excuse for lasciviousness. And if a man's character is immoral, you'd be very careful about the teaching that he brings. With him, denying the only Lord God, even our Lord Jesus Christ. You look at what a man says about the person of the Lord Jesus. And if the doctrine that they hold about the person of the Lord Jesus is a denial of his person, then what they are teaching is not from God and again we haven't time to develop that but, but those three criteria are, are very uh, very helpful I think in, in, uh, in evaluating uh, the, the teaching that someone might bring again I emphasize this is not someone who just happens to take a different view on matters that are legitimate to disagree upon or even matters that you might think the scripture is clear upon This is someone who is willfully trying to undermine the truth of God. So that's all very well. So so now we have identified this man for the sort of character that he is. That's all very well. What are we going to do about it? It's all very well identifying the fact that this man is, uh, is, is not of God. But then how do we deal with that situation? Well, says Jude, as he writes particularly to these people who might have come into personal contact uh, with these men, he says, I want you to remember two things. I don't know if you noticed that in the reading. Verse number 5, I will put you in remembrance. Verse number 17, beloved, remember me. He says, I want you to remember two things when you're dealing with these false doctrines or false teachers. And we could break it down this way. He says, number one, I want you to remember what happened in the Old Testament. And number two, I want you to remember what's said in the New Testament. Because he's going to look back into the Old Testament and he's going to select uh, six occasions when there was uh, an attempt to undermine the things of God. He's going to select three groups in verses five to eight. And he's going to speak about three individuals in verses 11 to 13. And he says, when you remember what happened in the Old Testament, what you have to understand is this, that God is not indifferent. That is, God treats these things with extreme seriousness. God will judge false teachers, so don't be taken in by them. God's not indifferent to false teaching. He's going to speak about these three groups. Israel in the Old Testament. The angels that, that, that left their first estate. And Sodom and Gomorrah. And again we really don't have time to go into the uh, the details of these uh, things. But just to mention very very briefly. When he speaks about uh, the, the, the people who came out of, of Egypt. Verse number 5. He afterward destroyed them that believed not. The reference I take is to Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13. When the people having been presented with the land that God had for them. They specifically and deliberately rejected what God wanted. Uh, Again, we emphasize we're talking about apostates. He's not suggesting here that a believer can lose their salvation. We're clear about that. Uh, John chapter 10, I give to my sheep eternal life. They shall never perish. He's dealing with those who specifically have rejected the revelation uh, of God. He's speaking about the angels. He's going to say to them that that even those who are in, in positions of Uh, great exaltation and great glory if they turn against God, God will judge them in fact he's going to say those who are in, in, in that sort of exalted position when they turn against God they put themselves in a position where they are no different from the lowest and most wicked actions of humanity, he's going to speak about Sodom and Gomorrah he's going to point out these three groups and having spoken about these three groups he's going to speak about in verse 11 to 13 he's going to speak about three individuals he's going to speak about Cain He's going to speak about Balaam and he's going to speak about Korah. Now you need to know a little bit about the Old Testament background. I'm going to take the risk of assuming that you do know about these kind of things. If you don't know about them and you want to read about them, uh, Genesis chapter 4, Numbers uh, 22 or thereabouts, I think, towards the end of of the chapter, Numbers chapter 16 will give you the, the background to those. So there's a little bit of light reading for you this evening. What was Cain? Cain was the man who refused to accept God's way of salvation he said you do not need a sacrifice in order to be made right with God you don't need the shedding of blood in order for you to be made right with God if you ever come across a doctrine that tries to tell you that you can be right with God by your own efforts that is not from God without the shedding of blood there is no remission it's as simple uh, as that When it comes to uh, Balaam, Balaam was a man who used divine things for his own personal gain. That's why they run greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. Balaam was a man who used divine things for his own personal gain. Judas did exactly the same. If you come across a man, uh, or uh, an organisation, or a TV channel, or a website... That says, if you want spiritual blessing, you must fund our ministry. Again, be very careful of that particular setup. I, I'm not saying that everyone who asks for donations is necessarily doing a wrong thing. And I know that you can you can give uh, to, to very, very commendable works. But if people use the things of God in order to line their own pockets or for their own physical pleasure turning the grace of God into lasciviousness be very very careful about that sort of setup Korah Numbers chapter 16 Korah was a man who refused to recognize that Moses was the man that God had appointed to be their leader they rejected God's man again if you find just bringing it into a New Testament context if you find an organization a man, a teacher, whatever uh, who says that, well, the Lord Jesus is he's, he's only one teacher among many, or he was just, uh, a, we speak reverently, a product of his own time, and therefore he was mistaken when he, stood about certain, he spoke about certain things, and so on. Again, be very, very careful of that sort of thing. You notice, by the way, that these three examples of Old Testament individuals run parallel to the character of these men that we talked about in chapter Four, they're ungodly in character. Cain rejects God's way of salvation. They're immoral in behaviour. Balaam uses divine things for his own personal interests. Uh, Those who are apostate in doctrine deny uh, the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Korah was the man who stood against the man that God had appointed uh, to, to speak through. It's interesting, just by the way, in between all of these things, between these groups and after the individuals uh, Jude is going to give us two examples of those who did stand for God. One in heaven, Michael disputing with the devil, one on earth, Enoch prophesying of the coming of God. So, says Jude, first thing to remember is that God is not indifferent. God dealt with these things severely in the Old Testament. And these men that you're facing are of a similar ilk. Point number two, uh, verse number 17. Beloved, remember the words that were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you there should be mockers in the last time. Old Testament, God is not indifferent. New Testament, speaking reverently, God is not surprised. This has not come as some sort of unexpected development. That there should be false teachers. God knew that that would happen. This thing has not suddenly got out of God's control. And because God is not surprised by it, we, in that sense, ought not to be worried by it. This is not something spiralling out of the the, the ability of God to deal with. God said this would happen. Don't be surprised when, when these false teachers start to come and to try and undermine the things of God. So, remember these two things. But that's all very well, but what, what are we actually doing? What, what's our duty in these kind of situations? I want to suggest that, that, that uh, Jude is going to present to, to these uh, first century believers, he's going to say, look, there are two things that you've got to do. If you are, as an individual or as a church, if you are under attack from false teachers, there are two things that you must do. And I think there is an old testament, an allusion to, to Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Look at verse number three, first of all. Earnestly contend for the faith. In other words, you cannot have any fellowship with false doctrine. You've got to strive against it. Brother Andrew, I think again was was talking about the importance of getting to know the Word of God. Test these things against the Word of God. Use the Word of God to show that false doctrine is false. So when you do get something through on your email, I'll give you a little example. There's an email this is years ago. There's an email came through to me and it was one of these sort of ridiculous things, and it said, If you if you do If you forward this email on to ten of your best friends, then tomorrow morning some wonderful blessing will fall upon your head and all the rest of it. Um, And it came to me, well, hold on a second. If you go to Deuteronomy, you'll find that Deuteronomy says if a prophecy is made and it's not fulfilled, it's not of God. So I took the thing at face value. And I forwarded it to ten of my best friends with a covering note saying I apologize for sending all this to you. But I want to fulfill the duties of of what this thing says in order so that I can show it's a false prophecy. And, of course, at half past ten the following morning, having fulfilled the requirements of this particular email, nothing at all happened. So I sent an email back, saying, just let's compare this against the Word of God. Because the Word of God says that if a prophecy is made and it's not fulfilled, that prophet's not speaking for God. So just be careful about forwarding this, because it's not true comparing it against the word of God contending for the faith not standing, not, not standing by not, not ignoring false doctrine, contending for it knowing the word of God well enough to be able to say this is not true again I emphasize I, I'm not talking you know, about minor differences in the Bible reading whether you thought Paul wrote Hebrews or not There's no earnest contending for that. (coughs) But not only that, not only do you have to earnestly contend for the faith, but look at verse number 20. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Reference to Nehemiah. Earnestly contending for the faith, that's the sword. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith, that's the trial go and look at the book of Nehemiah you'll find a reference to sword and trowel there so what are we actually to do in light of all of this build up ourselves on our most holy faith yes that's all very well Jude, but what does that mean in practice I'm going to suggest there are three things that that means in practice number one praying in the Holy Spirit that is praying in accordance with the Holy Spirit praying as led by the Holy Spirit number two keeping ourselves in the love of God verse number 21 you see again what does that actually mean well I think that is explained for us in John chapter 15 and verse number 10 the words of the Lord Jesus if ye keep my commandments ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love So what does it mean to keep ourselves in the love of God? Very simply, it means to keep his commandments. If we are keeping his commandments, if we are searching the scriptures, looking for what God wants us to do, doing what God wants us to do, that in itself is a profitable thing. It builds us up in our most holy faith. Looking for the mercy... Of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And again, if this was a Bible reading, we'd have a very interesting discussion. I trust we've managed to get away without earnestly contending for one particular interpretation of that phrase. It might just mean a sort of daily uh, enjoying of the fact that we have been forgiven, that we have received mercy from the Lord Jesus It might mean a daily expectation of seeing evidence of the fact that God has been gracious to us. Remember, was it Barnabas when he came and saw the grace of God, the evidence of God at work in other believers? He was glad and so on and so forth. I wonder in the context if it means looking for the, the mercy of the Lord Jesus in his return to take us away from this world of sin and take us away from the sphere of false doctrine all together and again we could perhaps argue about uh, the details of that and just in a little word of caution verses 22 and 23 uh, Jude is going to say now just bear in mind that when you are contending for the faith and striving against this false doctrine and acknowledging that here are men who are utterly godless in what they're trying to do bear in mind that not everyone who is taken in by their false teaching is as evil as they are. there may be those who are overcome by false doctrine who are led astray he says just bear in mind you have to show that verse number uh, 22 Ons of some have compassion making a difference others save with fear pulling them out of the fire hating even the garments spotted by the flesh he says bear in mind that not everyone who is taken in by false doctrine is a, 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 an apostate false teacher And then he closes in a wonderful way. He says, bear in mind that even supposing false doctrine was rampant, even supposing false teachers were filling the world, he says there's one thing that means that these people are not going to succeed in the end, and it's this, God is able to keep you from falling and at the end of the day God will present his people faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy we sang didn't we he and I in that bright glory one deep joy shall share mine to be forever with him and we can understand that but his joy that I am there brethren and sisters that a wonderful thing that God if we can speak reverently God looks forward to that day of joy when he shall see of the travel of his soul his son's soul and God himself shall be satisfied so in summary he even managed to make it alliterate just to take account of the fact we have Northern Irish brother with us today in summary, what is Jude saying to us number one, recognize false teachers Look at their character. Recognise them. Number two, remember. In the Old Testament, God will judge. God is not indifferent. In the New Testament, God is not surprised. He told us these false teachers would come. Respond. Contend for the faith and build yourself up. And realise that in all these things, no matter what false doctrine there is around us, God is able to keep us and one day will present us before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, no wonder we are able to say that unto the only wise God, our Saviour, be that glory, that majesty, forever and ever.
0: Amen. I will thank our two brethren for their challenging and helpful ministry say at one point it's good to have the young duo i'm looking at them and i'm not entirely sure how young they are but from where i stand they're the young duo and it's been a pleasure to have them with us today and you've enjoyed their ministry and uh, feel that the lord has given them help in the process so we'll sing together just in closing uh, 221 our souls are in god's mighty hand we are precious in his sight and you and I shall surely stand with him in glory bright. We'll stem the storm, it won't be long. We'll anchor by and by in the haven of eternal rest with Jesus ever nigh. We'll stand and sing after the introduction, 221. Perhaps that uh, Brother Andrew uh, is staying with us and will be with us in Holborn tomorrow. Michael and Eunice are going back home tonight, but Andrew is staying with us for tomorrow. He'll be with us for the Gospel at quarter to twelve. And he'll be with us in the ministry in the evening at 6.30. So if you have nothing happening in your own place tomorrow evening, then you'll be more than welcome to come and listen to it. Again, he's dealing with the tender shepherd of Isaiah tomorrow evening. God's blessing Our Father we bow to thank thee For thy kindness to us today For the opportunity of being together with thy people And to sing his praise And to enjoy fellowship together And to hear thy word ministered to us We thank thee for help given to thy servants And we pray that thou will bless them And protect them in the days that are to come they have delivered to us something of thy truth so we simply commend ourselves to thee we pray for uh, Michael and Eunice as they travel home and for others of thy children who are here tonight and have a journey to make we pray that thou wilt put thy protecting hand over them and take them to their homes in safety and as we come together again tomorrow in thy will We thank Thee for the opportunity that we will have just to remember the Saviour. We thank Thee that our hearts have been touched today and for the prospect that we are certain to see Him, we thank Thee. We remember that He loved the church and He gave Himself for her that He might present her to Himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And for the day when we shall be with him, we bow simply to thank thee. We pray that thou wilt bless uh, the food that has been prepared to us. We thank thee for it. And for those that have put their hand to the preparation, we pray that they in turn might receive a blessing as we bow to thank thee for the food provided and for our fellowship together